if you want to, you can turn to James 3. Uh, we'll be there. We'll look at a little passage in the Old Testament a little bit later. Um, but I'll, I'll turn there and read it for us. Um, so we know that the way James 3 starts is that uh, teachers will incur a stricter judgment. So um, I'm not feeling real well right now. So Dave <laughs> or Eric, if you guys can come up and take this message. Um, but as we've been learning uh, in the past weeks, um, the book of James, James doesn't beat around the bush. He just gets straight to the point and is dead set exhorting uh, the readers of his letter to become mature followers of the Lord. And in so doing, he just, just rapid fire goes from one area to the next. And uh, uh, tonight he's going to cover the area of communication and he's he, again he's just straight to the point and, and very blunt and uh, he's already addressed how spiritual maturity develops through our response to trials um, and then we looked at how spiritual maturity is enhanced by our response to the word and then uh, James went on to explain what genuine faith should look like in the life of a believer and how it's not really true faith if there's not works that go with that faith. Um, and now he's going to explain how the tongue, our communication, how we use our, our, our mouths, is an indicator of spiritual maturity. So first of all, James chooses to introduce the topic in relation to teachers. And um, some commentators just believe that this warning uh, may have been motivated for the reason that um, in the early church there are congregations uh, were trying, there were people that were trying to attain the status of teachers that just went back even from, from the Jewish customs of where rabbis were, you know, it was like a status symbol to, to, to be a rabbi. Um, and yet it was Jesus himself who said, when he was rebuking the teachers of the law in his day, he said, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And, um, of course, we know that Jesus isn't opposed to having teachers in the church. Some he's given the gift of teaching to. Uh, but I think the point is, Jesus is not wanting people to think in terms of um, being teachers for a status symbol. And that's, I think James just wants to get it out there for all those who are aspiring to be teachers, that they would face a stricter judgment than the average person. Well, why is that? Well, they spend a lot of time using words, right? They spend a lot of time talking and exhorting others about right and wrong. And, um, you know, when they stand before God, they're not going to be able to claim ignorance or God could just, you know, you've seen like the movies where someone's got a, a wiretap and catch someone on recording and God could just say, oh, you know, do you remember when you said this? And then hit the record button. So, um... But really the takeaway here I want to just capture from this first verse for all of us is not that we should keep our mouths shut and never attempt to encourage fellow believers in the word. The takeaway is really that we should have an awareness that God is concerned with the use of our tongues to not be used in a do as I say, not as I do manner. And oftentimes those who are teaching are more prone to fail simply because they have more opportunities to use the tongue to influence others in that way. So I encourage us to share testimonies and, and scripture to encourage others 
and do exhort your fellow brethren because um, we're all called to do that. And uh, But do your best to make sure your advice and opinions are grounded in Scripture. And just as a sidebar, it's perfectly okay to say, I don't know, if you generally don't know something or are not completely sure. Um, you know, sometimes people might ask you for your opinion about something uh, as it relates to the Bible. Um, when I'm not completely sure about something, I'll typically preface my statement with, in my understanding, and so forth. Um, not just come out with a dogmatic statement as if I know everything. Um, now, when we go on to verse 2, this is very comforting. Because James says, just the first part here, for we all stumble in many ways. So James himself writes as one who has not arrived. And, um, and, and you know, you, you don't... Well, you do see this some. I mean, Paul talked about um, a struggle with sin, but it's just neat that, that these guys um, who, who wrote, wrote the scriptures were, were transparent in that way. And uh, James is conscious of his own shortcomings. And um, one thing I just wanted to bring out is, um, if you remember in 1 Corinthians 15, um, we, it wasn't the part we read tonight, it's earlier in the passage where um, it talks about when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he appeared to different people. And it says he appeared to, um, appeared to the apostles. Uh, I think it says that he appeared to the women at the tomb. Um, it, it says that he appeared to more than 400. It also says he appeared, there's three people, it, it singles out. Um, it says he appeared to Peter. We know that it says he appeared to Paul, and one that probably you probably look over a lot of times, I do, says he appeared to James. And um, if you think about it, um, uh, James was Jesus' brother, and earlier in um, Jesus' ministry, uh, Mark 3.21 says that most of his family members thought he was out of his mind. And I'm not sure if James was included as one of those family members, but I think uh, historically it talks about James kind of coming to believe Jesus was really the Savior later uh, in, in, his, in his life there. And, um, and I think uh, it's just interesting that uh, Jesus might have personally met with James just to personally get things right. And, uh, you know, we know he did with Peter. You know, Peter failed him, and so Jesus met with him personally. And I just think it's, he might have done the same with James. Uh, and then James goes on to, to have the confidence um, and to be a leader in the early church there. Well, verse 2 goes on to say this, And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So I spent a lot of time asking God what this means because it seems like it sounds too good to be true. I mean, it's almost like, uh, really, if I could just control my tongue, then, you know, I can not sin in, in all these other areas that I do. Um, well, if that were true, then the quick solution to perfection, which most commentators believe is really just talking about the ultimate spiritual maturity, um, is to just cut out my tongue, and then my whole self will be in control, right? Well, I don't think so, because 
I don't think we can disconnect this statement from the truth of what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 33, where he said, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So if I cut out my tongue, technically, I might not stumble in what I say with my words because I couldn't speak. I couldn't slander, I couldn't gossip, I wouldn't tell any lies, I wouldn't boast. But if my heart was left unchanged, then I could use my body language. I could use gestures um, or writing to do those very things. And, um, and the heart is also connected to our thoughts. Psalm 1914 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to the, in thy sight, O Lord. So what we say has a most significant connection to our hearts and the thoughts of our hearts. So it's not just a matter of, of cutting out our tongue uh, to, to be, to have that perfect self-control over the rest of us. Um, it really comes down to that, to our hearts. So the point is this, the tongue is simply a mirror of our hearts and how we use our tongues provides just the evidence, basically, of where we are relative to spiritual maturity. And the good news is as our regenerated heart becomes more filled with God's word and our lives become more yielded to the Holy Spirit, then our tongue should reveal that and the rest of the body will follow. But if we allow our hearts to be hardened to the word of God, then our tongues will reveal that as well. So in reading this passage, um, Probably, I don't know how you guys approach it. You know, you've probably read it many times, but normally when I've read it, it just, all I get really is negative. I've always thought just negative things from it. Um, but I want us to keep in mind that control of the tongue has both negative and positive aspects. So um, it involves the ability to restrain the tongue and silence, if we just keep our mouth shut. Um, but control of the tongue also means being able to control it for positive use, like using it for gracious words and encouraging speech as needed. Um, and also use of the tongue, like most other aspects of our lives needing sanctification, which our tongue does, um, always has this double dimension, right? In uh, Colossians is a good example, Colossians 3, where um, Paul talks about putting off and putting on. And uh, it's, so with a tongue, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a, 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 what you put, need to put off and what you need to put on. So speech and silence appropriately expressed are together marks of maturity. So as we go on to verses 3 through 5, um, James is going to launch into two vivid illustrations to demonstrate the disproportionate power of the tongue. And the first is that the tongue is like the bit in the mouth of a horse. This tiny little piece that goes into the horse's mouth, which is almost like a pun intended by James, controls the enormous amount of power that that horse has. That one small object has extraordinary power and influence over that horse. The second illustration is that of a rudder in a ship. And if you even think of even massive ships, they have, they have small rudders in comparison to the massiveness of the ship. And that small rudder guides the entire ship. And James even notes that um, the will 
of the rudder is controlled by the captain of the ship. I'm going to read here verses 3 through 5. Um, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So James is making the point that the tongue is an instrument of extraordinary power. And again, it's not just negative power. It, it can have positive power. So it's extraordinary power both for good or for bad. And its power is, is out of proportion to its size, basically, is what he's saying. Um, so I think James is giving these two illustrations in order for us to understand that this very small muscle in our mouths um, has both these negative and positive aspects. And I never really thought about that before related to the bit and the, and the, and the rudder. Um, but I think that's what James is trying to get here because he's going to um, now move into even more illustrations in rapid succession that are going to bring light to the destructive ability of the tongue. So um, these really are negative <laughs> negative consequences of the tongue. Okay, I'm going to read verses, uh, the continuation of 5 and, and then through 8. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Well, <clears throat> I'm sure <clears throat> in our day and time you've um, seen how fires start, especially, you know, in California, a lot of time wildfires. Um, oftentimes they're started, if they'll say that Someone was smoking, threw a cigarette out the window, and and it, it caught fire on something, and then you got now an enormous fire uh, happening. Or or some people were camping, and they, they didn't put out the fire quite right, and a few sparks get, the wind picks them up and takes the ashes, and they catch some dry leaves, and, and all of a sudden now you got a fire that is, spreads quickly and, and devours millions of acres. <clears throat> So the point is that a little spark in the right conditions can lead to this vast wildfire that destroys life and property. And just a few seconds of care on the front end, right, could, could have saved that devastation. Uh, but once the fire starts, sometimes even an enormous amount of manpower, um, firefighters, often they can't stop it. They just have to let it burn out. Um, so the time to stop a wildfire is before it starts. And the tongue is the, is the same. You know, a sharp word that we, that we utter, or a loose sentence, um, or a callous comment. Um, words once spoken, you know, once they are out, they cannot be unsaid. And as you all know, words can hurt. You've experienced that. And then they do hurt. Um, 
sure you can remember times when people have spoken hurtful things to you, and, and that hurt may still be there, even, years later. Um, words can rip apart relationships, cause depression, and start wars, which I'm going to give an example in the Old Testament of that in, in a few minutes. So I'm sure that many in this room have been also on the receiving end of hurtful words, and though you may have forgiven the offender, most times you cannot forget the words that were said. Um, well, in like manner, though a fire can be extinguished, right, the time to restore all the destruction the fire causes can take a very long time. A forest to grow back, or someone who has lost everything in a house fire takes a very long time to recover from that. So I also think that many in this room have also said things that they wish they could take back. Um, I don't know about you, but but if you know how that feels when you say something quickly and rashly and you want to immediately take it back, but it's you know it's already escaped your mouth. Um, and, and, and what happens is that spark, it, it's already started a fire that has already started doing damage. And, and it is difficult, if not impossible, to get back to the original state, you know? So it's, it's like once, once out, it, just like James says, it's, it's a fire. It, it starts doing damage immediately. Um, this is not a good thing at all. Um, and I would imagine, you know, you guys have heard and personally known stories like this, but um, I've heard and even personally known a number of stories of families and friendships of where people, they're no longer on talking terms with one another because of some offense with words. Um, and, and I knew that even in, in my extended family of things going on. Uh, so uh, the fear of that really alone happening in my own family, which I didn't want that to ever happen, even, you know, as kids were getting older and getting into teenage years, and sometimes there's tensions that, you know, you could say something, but the fear of knowing that this could happen um, always motivated me to keep my mouth shut many times, lest I say something to a family member that could cause irreparable damage, um, because I'd seen it happen. Um, so think about that the next time you're, um, you're thinking about saying something hurtful and count that cost is the satisfaction of, of venting, you know, which is really what it is. Um, is that worth the potential long-term damage it could cause? And I think that is what James means by the words, the tongue that sets on fire is set on fire itself by hell because because we, what is Satan's purpose? It says in John 10.10, 10, it says that his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, and that's what fires do. And oh man, does he love to see us use our mouths to destroy one another and destroy family relationships. So the next time you are tempted to say something you think you shouldn't say, try to remember that imagery of Satan's purpose. That, that it's Satan trying to set that tongue on fire um, to steal, kill, and destroy a relationship uh, because that's what's really happening. Now, I want to read a story um, in 1 Kings 12 um, of how evil words 
um, really started this war, a war between God's people. Now, because um, Solomon did not obey the Lord, God had already said that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to divide the kingdom here uh, and you're only going to have one tribe and, and the rest is going to be Israel and there's going to be Judah. Um, but uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam ended up being the, the king of Judah and um, it, it, it appears that uh, they could have lived in peace with each other. Um, except for some words that were spoken here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it here. First uh, Kings 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, who actually God was setting up to be the king of the other side, the Israel and all the other tribes, the son of, when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. So Jeroboam was, was making concessions. You know, we, we, we'll serve you if you just, you know... Compromise a little bit. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown, grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who said, have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus you shall speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten, but, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly, and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen with the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Elijah the Shadonite to Jerusalem, the son of Nebat. Um, they ended up, you know, having wars between God's people for, um, for years after this. And, um, and, it, and, and the spark that set it in motion was, 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 was words, was, was the tongue. Um, um, there's a proverb that says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger, uh, which is what, what's going on here. <clears throat> so um, another thing we see in James is that... Um, he refers to 
um, our tongue as being able to stain our bodies. He says, James refers to the tongue as, quote, set among our members, staining the whole body. And I think about it this way. As a Christian who is to let our light shine, hopefully our character as it is transformed by God begins to develop into a more Christ-like appearance, and others will, will recognize that. Um, recently, I was at a gathering um, with other believers, and, and one person there uh, who, in general, you know, has had a good character, made one ill-disciplined comment, and it was, it was just over-the-top, extremely inappropriate. Um, and it put a stain on that person's good character that has been developed over years. Um, and just like it's hard to get rid of stains, it's hard for me to get that comment out of my mind that, you know, that this person said. Um, and so the point is that character can be fragile and, and we need to guard our tongues lest we allow its use to destroy the good character that takes years to build in our lives. Um, and then James also refers to the tongue as full of deadly poison. Um, so he's a good company with Paul here because Paul in Romans 3 uh, talks about um, us as sinners that James is just, that our throat is an open grave. Um, they, we use our tongues to deceive. The venom or poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And so in light of all of these things that James is talking about here with the tongue, right? in light of all of these things, he is forced into a confession. And, um, and that confession is this. Nobody, with the exception of Jesus, can tame the tongue. Um, now you might get to that verse and, and, and it's extremely discouraging now, right? Um, so what's the answer? Um, should we just give up? Um, no, I don't think so. I think the point is that without God's help, we cannot hope to fully tame our own tongue. But with God, all things are possible. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I'm thinking back to when we uh, went to the book of John, and we talked about John 15, we talked about uh, prayer and, and bearing fruit. And um, uh, I remember we talked about praying for things that are, that are impossible. I mean, those are, I mean, I think God wants us to pray for things that are not possible with man, but possible with God, right? I mean, I don't need to pray that God would move this thing from here to here because I can move it myself. Um, but the tongue, taming the tongue, it, according to James here, is uh, no man can tame it. So um, this is something that we should be praying about, that God, um, through his power, would, would help tame our tongues. And um, so with God, all things are possible. And also, like Paul says, we can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, and also, if we walk by the Spirit, right, we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And what is one of the fruits of the Spirit? Self-control. So if we rely on God, this is a battle that can be won. So it's not, it's not all dark. 
Um, our tongues can be controlled because, because right out of the out of the heart is what comes out. I mean, from how do I say that? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, and the Lord has the power to change our hearts. Okay, and um, and we know that because we we we, we could have open up a testimony time right now and have multiple testimonies of how God has changed our hearts, okay? Um, but the one thing that I think is interesting, you know, James has limited time. We've got five chapters here. And he addresses trials and faith and, and um, uh, true religion. And now he's dressing the tongue and he's going to do it in some other places in here. Um, I think the point is that um, regarding vocal holiness... It's a long-running fight, and it's one that will need to be fought daily, uh, perhaps hourly. And the question is, are we fighting? Are we fighting that good fight of this battle? Are we desiring and inviting the Lord to transform our hearts? Because that's the key. Now, the last exhortation James gives in this passage is simply, stop being hypocrites. And that's in here in just verses 9 through 12, which I'll read. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And, and we know that um, this is one thing that really um, is a hot button for God, if you, if you will, I guess. Um, uh, we need to not be like the people that God talks about through Isaiah in Isaiah 29, 13. And that's what, these, what he's cautioning against here. And Isaiah 29, 13 says, And the Lord said, because these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Um, so I just want to stress again that the application for us is not to stop praising God. Um, it is to stop using our tongues as weapons to hurt people. And our faith in God should touch every part of our lives, including our speech. We need to allow the Lord to change our hearts and minds and our behavior, even with our tongues, will follow suit. Um, that's totally in line with, with Paul's statement. Um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, that's, that's how we get there. Um, and uh, fortunately, we can be thankful that we have the privilege of having God's written word Available to us to renew our minds 24-7. I mean, if you think about it, we we have it on our phones. We have how many copies of this book in our houses? You know, I mean, um, it's just a matter of, of allowing ourselves to be transformed by the Word. Um, so as we come to a close here, um, you might be thinking, uh, hmm, gone through this whole passage, James talking about the tongue, but why does James get, apparently give no practical counsel about how we are to 
you know, speak and, and, and deal with the tongue. Uh, should we just go to a Christian bookstore and buy some books on communication and, or attend a seminar uh, or conference? Um, well, trust me, uh, this is just the part one. There's going to be a part two next week. And uh, this is going to be interesting. But James has and does give practical counsel throughout this whole book. Um, and we are going to focus throughout just his letter, in fact. And we're going to focus on that next week. Um, so if you want to get a head start, just read through James again. And you'll, you'll find it very interesting if you just focus on how often you see him refer to what we say and how we are to say it. That's the only clue I'll give. But it, it just, it's just amazing from James 1 on, he'll talk about um, our speech over, over and over again in different ways. And so we'll, 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 look, at, we'll look at the practical uh, part uh, next week, okay? But right now we're just going to close in prayer uh, as we transition to our communion time. Heavenly Father, um, God, you know, I think of, I just think of different things that um, to to grow in maturity, to grow in Christ-likeness. Um, I mean, uh, in theory, in our heads, we know that uh, it's, those things are impossible. Um, and so we should pray that you would, would do that work in us, God. Um, but here, in this passage, God, I mean, James pulls no punches. He made it clear, perfectly clear, that um, us speaking in a way that reflects you is, is impossible. And, and I just pray, God, that you would you would um, help us all in this area. I pray that you would um, help us by transforming our hearts, God. And um, God, I pray that you would give grace, much grace to um, situations where we fail. As James said, we all stumble in many ways. And so we're still going to continue to stumble. God, I pray that your your grace would um, would cover those areas. Your grace would be more powerful than what Satan is trying to do, God, in stealing, killing, and destroying relationships, even when we, we stumble with our tongues, God. So I just uh, pray that you'll even mend, mend relationships that have already been affected by our tongues, um, God. And um, and I just pray that you help us going forward, God, to to grow and and, and using our tongues for for good and um, for using our tongues like like you used your your tongue when you walked the earth. Time. Um, I pray these things for Jesus' name. Amen.